0: Coming up, the NFL season is now days away, as I'll get into the storylines heading into week one. College football's first full week had some interesting matchups. Some went down to the wire, some did not. Two major developments regarding young upstarts on both the men's and women's side of the U.S. Open are taking shape as we head into week two of the tournament. The Giants reclaim first place out west, but will they hang on to win the division when it's all said and done? The Expendables, I mean the Lakers, have made another addition to their mercenary list, Plus, an NBA player who went into recent retirement is coming back to give it another shot with the Brooklyn Nets. Lots to sink your teeth into if you're the casual or diehard sports fan, whether you're riding home, commuting on public transportation, running through the neighborhood, or just kicking back. I'll be sure to break it all down for you on this Labor Day Monday, but first, this message. Hey everybody, J Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, Welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the j Real's podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms, on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility. ...fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast... ...especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc. ...as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth... ...or in the studio with me... So then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, alright? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's well feeling fantastic in excellent spirits the day has arrived the first monday of september could only mean labor day the unofficial ending of summer so for those like myself who have their imaginary summer flags at half mast i salute you it's a part of life that we all have to face and admit not wanting to let go of it, but the show must go on, so just be grateful that you live to see and experience another summer, and that there is still a couple of weeks left to bask in the warm weather, sunshine, and still rock those short-sleeved shirts and shorts before autumn arrives. But in the meantime, what has arrived is the latest edition of fast-paced, action-packed sports talk full of analysis, opinions, and insight, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard! And for those who've been banging with me for now two hundred and twelve episodes, the area code of Manhattan—that's right—I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, September the sixth, in the year of our Lord two thousand and twenty-one. The J Reels, what's the deal? Segment: What to expect on this podcast is as follows: One of the top men's players who could have been a threat to upend Novak Djokovic's historic calendar Grand Slam has been sent packing. Yet the storyline has not only been the person who beat him. But another upstart on the women's side is making waves as she defeated two top-ranked players, including Naomi Osaka and Angelique Kerber. As the second week of the U.S. Open is about to commence, I'll have the surprising developments that's taking into shape out at Flushing Meadow Queens later on in the podcast. Also, the expendables, I mean the Los Angeles Lakers are at it yet again, as they sign another Former first-team All-NBA player to their already loaded and star-studded hired guns lineup. Also, the Nets bring back a former player who came out of retirement, which to me was quite a surprise, so I'll get into that, as well as Ben Simmons wanting a trade. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks, and now it's been put out there for the association to dissect and certainly get into all the trade rumors that will be abound between now and the start of training camp. So I'll have my takes on those scenarios later on. The season is just about here. I know the football fan is chomping at the bit as the curtain will raise on the 2021 season in the National Football League Thursday night as the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers will host the Dallas Cowboys. I'll review the week one schedule, the key matchups that'll kick off the season and the latest news and notes to get you revved up for opening week. The first full week of college football has had some interesting matchups, but not many surprises as their season gets on the tracks in hopes of some intrigue and drama, because as we all know, we're probably going to get the usual ho-hum, same old, same old as we expect. I'll share my thoughts on that later on, as well as Patrick Cantley. The guy has been scorching hot off of his six-hole playoff classic against Bryson DeChambeau last week. He wins another tournament this past week, one stroke over John Rahm, who's had a great year in his own right. But is Patrick Cantley, the man to watch in golf at the moment? All of that, Plus a little boxing, some Oscar De La Hoya, and then even Evander Holyfield. What in the hell is going on in the sports world? I'll have all of that, including my hero and zero of the week. So the sports dead zone two could be finished, gone, finito for 2021 as we kick it out the door with college football already up and at them, the NFL on deck. NHL training camps, opening in a couple of weeks, that's right, and then followed by the NBA, where the focus right now, at this very moment, despite the fact that the sports are starting to converge a little bit, as I mentioned, both the college and pro circuit will kick off, and obviously college has, with the winter sports soon to follow, but with the final month of the baseball season that will bleed into October... As we hit the home stretch to the final 25 or 26 games of a long yet rapid MLB season. And as weird as it's been, I remember talking about this in the latter part of spring right after Memorial Day, discussing how lackluster this MLB season has been. And granted, we still have a month to go, or roughly three and a half weeks, and we talked about all those no-hitters at the beginning of the year, the lack of offense that was stark throughout the sport, unbeknownst to all of us that there was a scandal brewing in baseball regarding the sticky stuff, and all the baseballs being doctored to the ban that started in early June, and then you saw the offensive numbers start to increase and spike up a little bit, and then baseball finally got on its tracks even after both the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals completed in mid to late July, So here we are on the home stretch, wondering what is going to happen throughout this baseball season, which hasn't had a lot of drama, hasn't had a lot of pennant race fever, pretty much everything has been status quo, it seems like, for the last several weeks, maybe even the last few months, for that matter, but as we take a look at the MLB landscape, and the first news that will come out of it will be what took place in San Francisco over the weekend between the Giants and Dodgers, their final matchup here in the regular season. Chances are they may meet in the postseason, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But the Giants, who have pretty much led throughout the whole summer in the National League West, where the Dodgers came into their building, a flat-footed tie for first place, where the Giants won on Friday night to get that one-game lead, and then the Dodgers winning Saturday night. So, Even keel for both of these franchises. We know the Dodgers and what they've done and where they've been here in the last several years, including their World Series title last year. And then the Giants, although a lot of the fans still romanticize about the early 2010s winning those three titles in five years, trying to conjure up those images as they get ready for a playoff push into October and hopefully securing the division where last night they were able to win the series. 2-1 2-1 to one over this past weekend For them to get that one game lead back In the National League West And the one thing you have to look out here Through the remainder of this month And into the first weekend of October Is whether or not the Giants will hang on to of a division I know that you have the Veteran-laden team That is at the forefront Buster Posey Brandon Belt Even a guy like Brandon Crawford you could throw in Johnny Cueto, a guy who's had postseason experience and has been on, on this team for several years. But we all know that this giant team, although we can look at the mainstays of those championship players that brought them those three titles in five years, we know that this giant team, to this point, nobody expected them to be anywhere near the playoff mix, let alone to go ahead and possibly win an NL West division crown. So, you got to wonder a little bit about their psyche as they head into this final stretch because, granted, that they played great, granted, that they've played out in front, granted, this was a weekend that they did not fold. As I said, they came in tied for first with LA. And for the last, it seems, six weeks or so, the Dodgers always seemed to be two and a half, three games behind. And then they finally crept up and caught them to where, even in their own building at Oracle Park, they were able to win a series get themselves a little bit of a breather now that they can exhale and play out the rest of the string. But when we look at the Giants, they're going to make it the postseason. I mean, that's a foregone conclusion. But my question is, winning a division, do they need to do that in order to sustain and possibly prolong a long, deep October run? Or if the Dodgers do catch the Giants and take over first place to where the Giants are going to host the wild card? Is that going to be, to their psyche, a minus more so than a plus considering that they've been out in front all summer long? I think with the manager Gabe Kapler, a guy who's been unproven in a big game, and not to say that he's managed on a lot of big games dating back to his stint with the Phillies and then now here with the Giants, but I'm sure... As a Giant fan, you have to be shaking in your boots wondering whether or not Kapler is going to be able to get your team across the finish line to pop champagne sometime at the end of September or maybe even into that first weekend of October to kind of take a big bow to a regular season that has been more than what any fan or even a baseball fan like myself has ever imagined or even expected this team to perform and I think in order for the Giants to really prevail and go long into October to kind of replicate those World Series runs, they will need to win this division because anything short of that right now, knowing that they've been out in front all year long, it seems, I think will be a blow to their team psyche that they will have to play a wild card game, whether it be against San Diego or even Cincinnati for that matter. And then have to go play a five-game series starting in Chavez Ravine game one of the division series when they know damn well they could have been hosting that game one series against the Dodgers, most likely, and see where they go as far as their quest for the hunt of Red October. I know you're going to say, Jay Reels, this team has the veterans, not only just the aforementioned three guys that have been on those championship ball clubs, but when you look at a guy like Evan Longoria, as I believe he's back in the lineup now, he was out for a couple of months this season, but knowing that he's been around the block several times, he's been in playoff baseball, October baseball, when he was a member of the Rays many years ago. You're going to look at a guy like Chris Bryant, who won a World Series, has already won an MVP in this league, who will bring his championship medal to a giant team that knows if they need that extra boost or push that, He has that in his back pocket. You do have to wonder about their starting pitching. To me, that is their big question mark. But on a whole, the Giants would certainly benefit from winning a division. And for everything that I just mentioned, but even more so, just for knowing this long marathon of a 162-game season, and for it to fall short, not of their making the playoffs aspirations, but just winning a division. Because when you're out in front all year long and for you to lose it in the month of September, and we all know anything can happen when it comes to baseball, but for the Giants and it's not the guarantee that even if they play the Dodgers or even the Padres or the Reds in the first round that they're going to punch their ticket to the World Series. We all know that that's not going to be the case and there's never an easy road even though there may seem to be depending on who you play. But I would think that the Giants don't want any part of hosting a wildcard game and then having to go on the road pretty much the remainder of the playoffs to get themselves back to a World Series for the first time since 2014. That's just my take on it. The Dodgers, doesn't matter. They could host that wildcard game. They could be on the road, which is not going to happen because they have a sizable lead as far as them being the number one seed in the NL wildcard, but... We've seen the Dodgers time after time, and in particular last year, them finally getting over the hump to win a World Series, so you would think that it doesn't matter where they play. Whether they have that wild card game at home, whether they go to San Francisco, whether they go to Milwaukee, whether they go to Atlanta, whether they go to the moon, doesn't matter. The Dodgers will be primed and ready to go to repeat as World Series champions. And when we take a look at their schedule down the stretch, both the Giants and Dodgers... The Giants do have a ton of games against the San Diego Padres, and when you look at this coming week, they go on the road to Colorado and Chicago. Colorado plays well at home, so those aren't going to be easy games. The Cubs have actually played well here over the past week, winning six in a row, but they're a dead team walking. Then they come home to play Atlanta for a series before going to San Diego, and then closing out at Colorado again, and then home to Arizona and San Diego. So a not so easy schedule, San Diego's playing for their playoff lives, Colorado as I mentioned play well at home, just look at what they did with the Braves, they did split four games but they put a wrinkle in the Braves playoff push to win a division over the course of the past four days, so those aren't going to be gimmies if you're a Giant fan, and then even though they go to Arizona and they play Arizona twice during the stretch, But, uh, I'm sorry, they play them once. I got them mixed up with Atlanta. But you know that the Giants are really going to have to work for it and earn it knowing that the Dodgers are not on the schedule the remainder of the way. And as far as the Dodgers go, they have four in St. Louis, followed by San Diego, Arizona at home before they go to Cincinnati, Colorado, and Arizona, and then wrap up with San Diego and Milwaukee at home. So they also have a very... Tricky, intriguing schedule where it's not all cupcakes. It's not all going to be a cakewalk. We understand the division is still competitive with Colorado. The games in their building at Coors Field aren't going to be easy. Arizona, we know that they've been long gone out of the playoff race, but they can be pretty pesky and you know they're going to try to do whatever it takes to play spoiler down the stretch. Of course, Milwaukee goes to LA to close out the season followed by San Diego where will they be during that last week of the season as far as their playoff hopes are concerned and it probably could come down to that final weekend where San Francisco will be hosting San Diego and the Dodgers will host Milwaukee as to whom will win the National League West and will the Giants end up raising the division crown above their heads or the division flag whatever you want to call it and hope that they will be able to not only take a breather won't play in a wild card will host in the division series and more most likely will have the best record in the league and therefore be the home field representative pretty much throughout as long as they're alive in the postseason so to me that is going to be the major one to watch in that regard because as we've talked about it for weeks on end the division races are pretty much a wrap a wrap There isn't really anything to discuss. I know the NL East before everybody gets crazy. And you know I'm going to get to that in a minute. But when you look at the AL and NL Central. To me that's been a wrap for weeks. As the White Sox and Brewers will pretty much have it all wrapped up. You would think probably somewhere in the next couple of weeks. You would think maybe the week of September 20th. So two weeks from now they'll probably start their coronation to win a division. Both on the south side of Chicago and of course in Milwaukee for the Brewers when you look at the AL East the Rays have a sizable lead over the Yankees you would think that they would pretty much slide into a division title somewhere at some place in the middle of the month or maybe in the latter part of the month excuse me the Astros five game lead although four and a half in the standings And although they had a, I'm not going to say a lost weekend in San Diego, but you would think they're going to be in control to win a division and set their sights on in October, which they're, I'm sure, chomping at the bit and hoping to get back to a World Series the way they were two years ago. And last year just fell one game short after being down 0-3 to Tampa in the American League Championship Series. And then the NL East, which we knew was going to be an interesting week based on the Braves having to go on the road to LA for three games in which they got swept, and then the aforementioned Rockies who play well in their building to where they split those four games. So both the Phillies and the Mets have crept back in to the playoff mix to where the Phillies had won six in a row going into the weekend in Miami against the Marlins, but they had to salvage their series yesterday with a game won in extra innings thanks to Odubel Herrera and his heroics in the 10th inning. So if it wasn't for that, the Phillies could have been swept out of Miami after that six-game winning streak. And then the Mets, who had a topsy-turvy, interesting week on its own when it comes to last week, if you heard the podcast, the whole thumbs-down issue with Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor with the fans. I talked about that. So if you want to get my take, all you got to do is go back in the archives just a week ago to listen to that. But the fallout from that, the come-from-behind victory where they were down four in the ninth to where they came back where Javier Baez was a key component in the middle of that rally and his heroics going around the bases to win a game after a bobble out in left field by Jorge Alfaro who is a catcher by trade and with the Mets riding high on a seven-game winning streak of their own and almost throwing it away on two occasions over the weekend whether it was Friday night with a 2-0 lead in the ninth and then they gave it back only to score four in extra innings to win 6-2, on Saturday, had a 9 nothing lead, mind you, in a day-night doubleheader, so it was a seven-inning game, and only the Mets could blow a 9 nothing lead in a seven-inning game to where Turner Stevenson hit a game-tying two-run homer in the bottom of the seventh, only for Francisco Lindor to hit a two-run homer in the top of the ninth, so the Mets were to prevail at that point so now they have a seven game winning streak they're riding high the Braves are losing in Colorado the Phillies are also stubbing their toe in Miami and then what happens in the second game all right they were due to lose they lose four to three but no Francisco Lindor no Javier Baez in the lineup and it makes you think what the hell's going on here what these guys needed the blow you couldn't play one of the two if not both these are games that the Mets need And understandably so, they're not going to win every game from here on out. But you're riding high, you just came off of this emotional rollercoaster of a game where you were ready to kick back in a rocking chair, and then next thing you know, you're biting your nails to the very end, and securing a game that ended up being an extra innings for a seven inning game. And then you're going to rest your middle infield to the tune to where you lose 4-3, that if you had those guys on the lineup, they could have made a difference. And... I can't kill as much as I can get on Luis Rojas, but again, this is all a collaborative effort with the front office and the manager feeling that it was best to rest these guys after what they went through and what they've gone through, and I'm paraphrasing, and what Rojas said in the postgame. Come on, these guys are built to play 162 games. I don't want to hear what the iPad had to say or what the numbers came up with or the matchups with the starting pitcher and the nightcap. I don't want to hear that. You got to win games. You need to have your best players in the lineup at all times. So they lose that game. And then yesterday, even with the night off, Baez with a four for four, home runs, RBIs about, they win 13-6, Kevin Pillar, grand slam later on in the game. And the Mets start a new winning streak, even though the Phillies and the Braves won their respective games yesterday. But the Mets gained four games in a week. They're now three and a half back. Of the Braves in the division. I know four in the wild card. But I'm not going to think about the wild card. You got to set your sights on the division. Because the Mets still have three games with the Phillies. Next weekend. Not this upcoming weekend. The following. And then they had the Braves. The final three games. In Atlanta. To close out the season. Which. I don't know if it's going to come down to that people. I said that this team. Was long gone. That the season was over. Even as early as last week. And yes. As a fan. Am I going to be at the edge of my seat am I going to be watching intently am I going to be rooting hard of course but as I've said over the last couple of days whether on social media or to family and friends I've seen this movie plenty of times before and all you got to do is go back into the Met history books whether it's 1998 and I'm just talking about maybe the last 25 years 98 losing 5 straight to end the season not making it to the wild card losing in 2001 right after 9-11 where they inch back to I believe 2.5 games And then that Sunday game where Brian Jordan just killed the Mets at a 5-1 lead in the ninth and then it happened a week later in Atlanta. Oh, please. All these nightmares from implosion after implosion for the regular season and I hate to say it as the cynical Mets fan in me I'm bracing for the worst. They have to. And yes, it's great to see the Mets get themselves back into it. I know they're only a game over 500 and Atlanta's come back to the pack and the Phillies are kind of floundering here despite their winning streak but this coming week is going to be a telltale sign because as we look at the opponents, the Mets, they have a game in Washington for their closeout wraparound series, which started on Friday. So I believe that their game is at one o'clock in the nation's capital. They go to Miami for three and you would think Miami is going to be trying to exact a little revenge here based on what happened at Citi Field last week. And we know Miami, they're always feisty against the Mets, despite What they did at City Field a week ago. And then they have the Yankees coming into City Field this weekend. Which will commemorate Saturday night. September 20th. The 20th anniversary of of obviously what took place. One of the. If not the most devastating. Incidents. From the World Trade Center. To the Pentagon. To what happened in Pennsylvania. Here at this country ever experienced. So you're going to have that in the middle of that series. To where Atlanta. After their road trip. And their schedule gets a little bumpy later on. But this week. They're going to host the Nationals and also the Marlins. So you would think that they'll be on the mend this coming week to get themselves right, to get themselves back in the win column. So the Mets are going to have to do damage from today through Thursday. They're going to have to win at least three out of four. They can't split these four games. They're going to have to push pedal to the metal because with the Yankees coming in this weekend and the Yankees have now hit the skids, if you could believe that. But you can certainly can't trust the Mets 100%. So these four games upcoming are enormous for the Amazons. The Phillies, they're in Milwaukee for three. And then they're home to Colorado for four. So they do not have to go to Coors Field. Colorado's coming to Philly. Colorado's been terrible on the road. So you would think that if the Phillies can't get out of Milwaukee with a win, or if they even win two, which would be gargantuan for the Phillies, considering what they did in Miami. But with the NL East now taking into a little shape where both the Phillies and the Mets are within striking distance and with the Braves in an easy schedule this upcoming week. And then they also have Colorado going into their building early next week. So they have some home cooking here before they go out west to play San Francisco, Arizona for four and then San Diego. Important stretch for the Mets, even more important for the Braves to kind of put themselves a little more distance with the opponents that they have on the schedule and trying to extend their lead in the NLE so that's what we have there and let me switch to the Yankees real quick because when I was on the pod last week they did lose the back two to the A's there in that four game set after winning 13 straight games and you thought that this is where the Yankees are going to take off. Now, the big question was, do you trust this core in October, which obviously we'll wait until then. And if you want to hear my answer, all you got to do is go back into that archive. Just like I talked about the thumbs down, I understand it's a week old and J Reels, I'm not going to go back to listen to something that already had taken place. But hey, if you're bored and you feel like you want to hear what I have to say, get my two cents on that, please feel free to do so. But the Yankees, after losing those two games, they go to Anaheim, they lose two out of three to where Cole just like a stopper is supposed to do, they win that final game to salvage that series before coming home to play the Baltimore Orioles. And the Orioles, we all know, worst team in the American League, if not in all of baseball. And they actually could have walked out of Yankee Stadium yesterday with a three-game sweep. They were tooth and nail on Friday night with Jonathan Means, but they ended up losing that game close to where Saturday, the Orioles were able to prevail in a low-scoring game. And then yesterday, zero excuse, Yankees had a 4-1 and 7-4 lead in the game, and it gave it right back. The bullpen has been Claude Reigns, as I like to say, the invisible man. They've been awful. They had to put Jonathan Luizaga on the 10-day IL. The Yankees, after that 13-game winning streak, have now lost 6 of 8. And even with all that, and still in great shape in the wild card, they have Toronto coming in for a big series, and the Blue Jays have played well over the course of the last couple of weeks as they try to make their final push on life support for their own playoff aspirations so you got to see what the Yankees how their resiliency how they're going to respond here over the next three days because after that the schedule does lighten up all right they have the Mets this coming weekend which you never know the Mets won two out of three Yankee Stadium but that was before they got on this big run as I mentioned last week. Where the Yankees were 42 and 41 after that July 4th Sunday night game, and then they took off from there. But even with them having to go to City Field next week, they have Toronto for four. The Mets, they do have that one makeup game with the Twins, which that will be, I'm sure, a blowout. Then they go to Baltimore, where they can exact some revenge then, before coming home to play Cleveland, Texas, and then close out the year at Boston, at Toronto, and then three at home with Tampa. So there are some games ahead. That are going to be tricky, this week included, but they have the following two weeks or ten days where they have the Twins, Orioles, and Indians, and then Boston, Toronto, and Tampa to close out the year. Tampa, as I said, they're in the driver's seat, seven games ahead. Right now, they're going to have the Red Sox where they're going to go play in Fenway. And they ended up splitting that series last week. They had that four-game series. They won the first two, but then lost the back two. They won two out of three against Minnesota over the weekend. They're going to be in good shape to win a division. I'd be shocked if they all of a sudden fall apart. But they go on a long road trip here to where at Fenway for three, at Comerica Park and Detroit for three, they go north of the border to the Rogers Center to play Toronto, before coming home to play Detroit for four, Toronto and Miami for three, and then they wrap up at Houston at the Yankees. So that could be very interesting, as those are two teams that they may actually face in the postseason if all goes to chalk and then the red sox with those games that they had against tampa last week and hoping to get closer not only just in the wild card you can forget about the division because they have the yankees that they're looking up at tampa then they go to chicago to play the white sox and then at seattle not an easy trip for them before coming home to play baltimore the mets for two yankees for three and then they close out the year at baltimore and at washington So the AL East, not really much to talk about there. The wild card, a lot to discuss there if you're the Yankees and Red Sox and even Seattle for that matter and give them credit because they have played exceptionally well here down the stretch to where they won two out of three against Houston last week. They swept the Diamondbacks over the weekend and then now they have to go to Houston this coming week or this early part of the week before hosting Arizona and the Red Sox And their back part of the schedule, they're going to play a lot against the Oakland A's. In fact, they're going to play four against them. So that could really pretty much determine, as well as the Red Sox too, because with Boston going to Seattle later next week, and then all those games against Oakland, they could make their push for the second wild card. And it's amazing to think, because you could probably name five guys on the Seattle Mariners. If you can, God bless you. But give them credit. They've played well above and beyond their means or what the regular baseball fan would have expected from them. So give it up to Seattle as they're going to be playing a lot of meaningful games throughout the course of this month. And Oakland, when you look at them down the stretch, right now they have a very tough stretch when you think about it. They came off of a series where they got swept in Toronto. Now they have the White Sox coming into their building. All right. They have Texas, and then they go to Kansas City and at the Anaheim Angels, but then they have Seattle at home for four, Houston at home for three, and then close out with at Seattle, at Houston. So Seattle certainly has an inside track here, and you would think could pretty much control their own destiny. I get it that the Red Sox, they only they do play them the three times, but depends on what them and the Yankees do here throughout the final stretch of this month. But give it up to the Mariners. They've really done a fine job here. And let's see if they could either rise to the pressure of pennant race baseball. Or will they succumb to it? We'll see what they're made of here over the course of the next few weeks. As they make their push. And then to close out. In the NL Central. I know the Reds as we look at the wild card here. As we pretty much gave you a little overview on the American League. And just to go to the wild card real quick we know the Yankees first in the wild card with a half game lead over the Red Sox they have a three game lead two in the loss over Seattle followed by Toronto which has four games behind the Red Sox but again two in the loss because of the 73 and 62 record and the Red Sox are 79 and 60 so the Blue Jays obviously they got a lot of making up to do as far as their games go and a couple of four game series. And I'll get to Toronto's schedule in a second. As a matter of fact, let me do that right now. Toronto, we know they play the Yankees for four. Upcoming here. Why don't I have Toronto's schedule in front of me? That's a disgrace. So I got to shout myself out for that. So let's get right to it. Toronto schedule the rest of the way. We know, as I mentioned, a one o'clock game at the stadium for Labor Day to start us off. Then they go to, I believe they'll be on the road right after that. They have four in Baltimore which will be a doubleheader on Saturday. That's your one of your makeup games. 3 home to Tampa, 3 Minnesota. Then they go to Tampa for 3, at Minnesota for 4. Then the Yankees at home for 3 and in Baltimore. So they got a ton of Baltimore on the schedule here. And they just played Baltimore last week where they won two of 3. So here is Toronto primed where the next eight games will be on the road against the Yankees and Baltimore and think about this it's a stretch for them to sweep I'm not going to get that crazy but if they were to sweep them they would overtake the Yankees in fact what are they five in a loss yeah they're four in the loss right now so they would be even percentage points they wouldn't even overtake them they'll have probably the Yankees have a percentage point lead if they were to sweep them tall order chances are it's not going to happen Because you figure the Yankees, with losing 6 of 8, they're going to turn their fortunes around, you would think right now, with Toronto and the Mets on the schedule upcoming. But Toronto has a very interesting schedule with a lot of Baltimore and Minnesota sprinkled in. They do have Tampa for six games, which aren't going to be easy. So we'll see how Toronto makes out here over the course of this week and as we get to the home stretch of the season. And when we look at some of the news and notes here before we move on to other things... Number one, I want to talk about my over-unders real quick. Now, it's interesting because as I choose three overs, three unders every year, the funny thing is, is that the overs are a disaster and the unders are actually pretty good. And who knows, I may end up splitting those six over-unders to where the overs are all losses and the unders could potentially be all wins. So to go through it, I had Miami at 73.5, Minnesota 89.5, ugh, and St. Louis at 88. St. Louis is not going to make it to 88, even though they're in the middle of a playoff race or a wild card mix. Right now, I believe they're at, let's see, we pull up their standings. I think they're at 70 right now, which doesn't bode well for them because that means they would have to win pretty much 18 of the next 25 to secure... Really, nineteen when you think about it, because they have to get to eighty-nine, with their number being eighty-nine and a half. And the Cardinals right now are at sixty-nine, so yeah, they're gonna have to have a big, deep run in them. They have to win twenty of the next twenty-five games in order for them to get that. That's not gonna happen. The Marlins are at fifty-seven; they're not gonna win seventeen games. I thought their pitching would be just enough to get a smidge over seventy-three and a half. Not gonna happen. And then my final over, I mentioned Minnesota, which they've been long gone since June. So you can forget about that. Now, as far as my unders are concerned, the Cubs, although they played well here, as I mentioned earlier, winning six in a row, but they're at 63 wins right now. They'd have to win 17 to get to 80 as their number is 79 and a half as an under. That's not going to happen. The Blue Jays, that's right. Toronto, I picked them as an under at 86 on the dot. Right now, they're currently at, was it, 71, I think? No, no, I think they're at 70. Ooh, excuse me. Should have known that. I said that a little while ago, Jay Reels. 73 is their win total, but with a ton of games against Baltimore, I get it, and a ton of games against Minnesota, they do have the Yankees for seven, they do have Toronto for six, so that's 13 games right there. That could be the difference on whether they play well against those teams, because you figure they're going to beat up on Baltimore and Minnesota. So, what they do in those 13 games against the Rays and the Yankees will pretty much determine on what this over-under number will be. So, they have to get under 86. So, they can't fall at 86. They got to be at 85. So, I think right now they're probably going to surpass that, but we'll see what they do against the aforementioned teams there in the AL East. And then the one that I threw Carson into the wind, but I just thought there was such a trendy pick. And for them to all put it together in one year. And granted they had their moments this year. But the Padres at 92. And their number at the current moment. And even though they have the. One game or half game lead in the wild card. As the second wild card team in the National League. By the slimmest of margins over the Reds. But they currently stand at 73 wins. They are not going to run the table here. To get to 93. And I'll be victorious there. So. With the Cubs as an under, that's a loss. Padres, I'm good. Toronto is the big one that we'll keep an eye on down the stretch as far as the over-unders are concerned. And yes, I did mention the Cardinals and the Reds. You have to throw them in the mix. Obviously, the Reds, who had the first place, or I should say the second wildcard spot in the National League, right now, they are just a half game behind, one in the loss, where the Phillies, two and a half, Cardinals, three back, but four in the loss. And when we look at those teams down the stretch... Cardinals They have Four with the Dodgers At home Upcoming Not easy Then they do have the Reds That'll come into their building Big stretch for them Followed by three At New York Against the Mets San Diego Four Milwaukee At the Cubs Milwaukee And the Cubs at home Not an easy schedule For the Cardinals So they are not going to Make it in an over And then the Reds Have three in Chicago Three in St. Louis, as we talked about over the weekend, at Pittsburgh, so I have a 10-game or nine-game road trip upcoming, followed by the Dodgers, Pirates, and Nationals all at home, with the Nationals being a four-game series, and they close out their season at the White Sox and at the Pirates. So there's some tricky games in the middle, but you would think Cincinnati will prevail as far as having a lead over the Cardinals, but remember, the Padres in the mix And we know about the Padres schedule. We talked about that for weeks on end where, although they won two out of three against Houston, but they have two against Anaheim at home, followed by games at the Dodgers, four in San Francisco, three at St. Louis, which are pivotal there, then home to San Francisco and Atlanta before closing at LA against the Dodgers and San Francisco. That's going to be a tough stretch. So we'll see how it all shakes out, people. The pennant races are in full effect. Maybe not the... High tension and the drama that we're hoping for. But we'll see. Some teams may come back to the pack. Some may not. Some may break away. You know I'll have it all covered here in the weeks to come as we get to the final month and close out a regular season in the Major League Baseball. And one other thing I want to get to before we move on. You have the Hall of Fame ceremony which will take place Wednesday up in Cooperstown which the highlight is going to be Derek Jeter. Now, no offense to Larry Walker, or off the top of my head, I don't even know whom else is going to be inducted and enshrined in Cooperstown, but we know Derek Jeter, sixth all-time in hits, five-time World Series champion, former AL Rookie of the Year, the whole shebang. We know the back of Derek Jeter's baseball player resume, and of course, he's working on his profile for an executive as we speak with the Miami Marlins. But the funny thing is, is that even to this moment, he is still working on his induction speech where, listen, not that I'll ever speak for and should never speak for any other human on this planet, let alone a Hall of Famer like Derek Jeter, but I can pretty much tell you how his Hall of Fame speech is going to go. We know he's going to thank his parents for his upbringing, his sister, of course, and how that was an enormous part of his life, just being able to build goals and to have that structure at home. To have the tenacity, to have the will, everything that Derek Jeter pretty much embodies, not only as he was on the field, but even off the field, he's going to attribute that to his loving family. Obviously, the Yankees, how he always wanted to be a Yankee, I'm sure he's going to thank Gene Michael, who is the architect of those early Yankee teams, dating back to Bernie Williams when he was drafted, leading up to Derek Jeter mariano jorge posada andy pettit the whole nine of course mr steinbrenner mr t as he calls joe tory uh, go on down the list some of his teammates yeah i'm sure he'll throw in posada as that's his best bud i bet he'll name maybe a couple other teammates if that the core four mariano being in the hall of fame last year and in his induction or two years ago and then i'm sure he's going to not only thank his wife his daughters which came pretty much after his playing days but also how he played how he personified being a Yankee to thank God that he was a Yankee that he was it was an honor for him to wear the uniform and then sayonara he'll get on his jet and fly back to Miami to try to construct his team for 2022 and beyond and that's pretty much going to be it you know Jeter's not a man of many words and if he is he's not going to expound on himself he's not that type of guy he's always been a team guy never been a me guy And you can see that's pretty much going to be his Hall of Fame speech, at least in my estimation. So, all right, so let's move on. Before I get to the college football, I'm going to get to the NFL only because week one will arrive here on Thursday night. We know the opening night, Tampa Bay will raise their second banner and seventh overall for one Thomas Edward Brady as the Dallas Cowboys come to town. I have not watched any of the hard knocks. I did say I was going to pick it up and do some homework. Based on watching the first one. I have not tuned in. People. All I'm going to say is. When. The NFL season starts. And not necessarily just the opening. Thursday night game. But to me. Six days from now. 1 p.m. That's the NFL season. I'll be primed. Ready to go. Focused. Zeroed in on. Everything that's happening throughout the course of the league. From that point on. Because. You could throw all the hard knock shows. It could be on the Steelers. And yeah. Maybe I probably would have tuned in a little bit more. But. At the end of the day, it's who cares? We understand it's entertainment. We understand there's going to be some storylines. We'll get it, but get me to week one. I want to enjoy the summer. Football is the furthest thing from my mind. Once they crown a champion, all right, the draft I get into, of course, I have to for those few days in late April, but I don't want to hear about training camp. I don't want to hear about preseason games. Yes, I want to hear who got cut. Other than that, get me to week one and that's it. That is my sole focus when it comes to the NFL offseason get me to week one and away we go so now that's put out to the side the big news and notes from this past week obviously the situation in New England where Bill Belichick has chosen Mac Jones to be the starter he figures the hell with it let's get right to it let's start this new regime with a new quarterback after the stopgap year of Cam Newton and I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding Newton, where he had the mystery practices last week, to where missing those practices led to the possible, the potential of him being cut. Obviously, Belichick did not admit that in the post game. He said the rumors or the alleged reports of Cam Newton not being vaccinated that wasn't the sole influence or any influence for that matter of Cam Newton not being a Patriot for 2021. And we've seen that not only throughout the NFL, but even throughout sports. Urban Myers being investigated for some of his comments about some of the reasons why he cut players, where factoring in that players that have been vaccinated have more of a shot at making the team than unvaccinated players, where I don't know what that investigation is going to lead to. it going to lead to penalties, fines, etc. But yes, it does sound messed up, but that's the world we live in right now. And especially when you look at What's going on in the sport where we've had a lot of COVID cases recently in the NFL? Obviously with the Cowboys, as we saw here down the stretch, Cole Beasley early on and some of the Buffalo Bills leading up into this week, although they've been cleared, but still. And with the NHL adopting some new protocols as training camp is just a couple of weeks away, you would think the NBA is going to follow suit as well for players that, and I understand the NHL and NBA is a little bit different because You have a few games in the week. If you have a guy that's going to be out for 10 days, all right, so be it. Although the owners and the front office won't like that, but they can live with a player being out for a few days. In the NFL, if you have an unvaccinated player and he has to get tested daily and the morning of, or let's say after the flight to whatever city that they're going to be playing in the next day, he comes up with a positive test and God forbid he's your quarterback, you're toast. And not only that, he's going to miss the following week's game if that's going to be the case. So, I get the rules. They can't be bent. These leagues are going to have to look out for their players. And that's all there is to it. I get if you're a fan, you can look at that and be upset or whatever. To me, the argument isn't about whether a player should be vaccinated or not. It's the protocols that are in place to protect That vaccinated player, and not only that, but even more so the unvaccinated player to protect them as much as possible, but they can only do but so much to avoid contact with the outside world, and obviously they can't train or practice indoors or with the saunas and all of the training room, the tables, etc. They got to do that all separately, and this is what's going to happen. Last year was different because there was not a vaccination that was to be found. And then now, as we're nine months deep into this, and with cases rising, and it doesn't matter vaccinated or unvaccinated, and that's another argument for another time, which obviously I'm not going to get into. But the point of the matter is, is that this situation with Cam and with maybe any other player that's going to be unvaccinated, they run the risk to jeopardize their team's fortunes. And we all know it begins and ends with the quarterback, but if you're a defensive lineman or pass rusher or a left tackle or a game-breaking wide receiver if they come down with this sucker and they're not vaccinated the potential of not only losing one or two games on the schedule is enormous unlike an NBA an NHL or even an MLB season for that matter so all those things have to be taken into account here if you're the NFL and it's one that's going to obviously be a spotlight on for the remainder of the year not only just in the NFL of course the other sports you have to look at but because there's only 17 games and each week is precious and God forbid you have one of those key players out for two games and those two games could mean you making the postseason or not so that's a deal that we'll have to monitor from here on out when it comes to players, contracting COVID, who's been vaccinated, unvaccinated, etc. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to delve into that if and when that time comes. As far as the week one slate, you have a lot of interesting games. And I know that a lot of people are going to look at, in week one, the marquee matchups, besides the Thursday night game, of course. You're going to look at the one o'clock window and you're going to see Pittsburgh at Buffalo That is going to be, not a hornet's nest, that is going to be buzzards, hornets, sharks, piranhas, you name it. Because the Bills Mafia, who although showed up in the postseason there a little bit with a smattering of fans, but now they're going to sit or even stand shoulder to shoulder, 80,000 people up at Orchard Park where the Steelers are going to come in, hostile environment, that's going to be a game, if the Steelers happen to win that game, that is going to be enormous. And I'll get to the lay of the land as far as the season goes in a minute, but that is the highlight one o'clock game. I know Arizona and Tennessee, NFC-AFC matchup, which on paper looks pretty good. Obviously not as sexy as maybe Pittsburgh-Buffalo or some of the four o'clock games like Cleveland and Kansas City or Green Bay at New Orleans, which that game is being played in Jacksonville due to the after effects of Hurricane Ida blowing through New Louisiana area, and the Superdome, although it's structurally sound, but they're still coming out of the carnage of that, and with the game being displaced, not only for this game, but I believe there's another home game in week four off the top of my head where that may be also played in Jacksonville, but luckily for the Saints, I believe they only have two home games in the first six weeks of the season, so Maybe after that, they'll be able to host at home, and which will be a big welcome for that city, knowing how much they love that team. That is a football town by far. So, the matchup between the Packers and Saints will be outdoors, and with a new era being ushered in by Jameis Winston, we'll see how the Saints do. Your Sunday night game is the Bears at the Rams. Rams with a lot of high hopes this year with the new quarterback and Matthew Stafford. Your Monday night game is Baltimore at Las Vegas, as Vegas will have fans in the building for the first time, as well as LA SoFi Stadium. So you're going to see those areas that hadn't had one fan in the building. You're finally going to get to see a game with fans filling up all the seats in Inglewood, California, and in the desert out in Nevada. But you also have Seattle and Indianapolis, that's a, maybe not a sexy game, but an intriguing game when you look at. Let's see what the defense of the Washington Football Team will do against the LA Chargers and the young quarterback there, and Justin Herbert. Miami at New England. Let's see the Tua year two of the. I don't want to say experiment. I'm not going to go as far as that, but the Tua regime with Brian Flores. Let's see how they do in a big test with New England and everything that they have going up. And you have the former Alabama quarterbacks going up against one another with Mac Jones and Tua Loa. Jacksonville at Houston Trevor Lawrence and his debut who knows what's going to happen with Houston right now it's been mum where Deshaun Watson although he has made the roster but is he going to start we know he's being paid a ton we know about everything that happened this offseason not to rehash all that but is that going to be a game time decision will we find out in the days leading up to the game whether or not he's going to start in this game we don't know how many reps he's gotten throughout this postseason I haven't paid attention as you know To the preseason games I don't even think he's played so there's going to be a mystery big giant question mark as to what happens there and then you have your other games whether it's the Jets at Carolina that's also fascinating because you have the number two overall pick Zach Wilson against the former number three overall pick of 2018 in a one Sam Darnold going up against his old team so we'll see how that shakes down one o'clock down in the Carolinas You have San Francisco, Detroit, Minnesota, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Atlanta. So you do have a lot of good games here in this opening week. And we will certainly dissect, maybe not every game. I want to highlight the big games because if not, I'm going to have a three-hour podcast. Yes, if there's something that's crazy that goes on in the game where we least expect it, let's say in the Minnesota Cincinnati game, obviously we'll touch on the marquee games. But this time next week, we'll go full bore. As to what took place in week one as we get the NFL schedule off and running. And as far as my NFL preview goes, that will come to you Thursday. So stand by people. I will have my full NFL preview. Break down all the divisions. Storylines heading into the season. Yeah, pretty much gave you a little taste week one with the rookie quarterbacks. Obviously with Tampa going for a defense of their title. The Rams and their quarterback I'll have that all covered. My surprise teams, disappointments, over-under numbers, playoffs, my Super Bowl winner, and I'll give you a little tidbit right now. I'm going to reveal my knockout pool pick right this second. And we went through all the games. A lot of tough games. You know, I'm not going to pick the obvious when it comes to the knockout pool. For those who aren't familiar with a knockout pool, you just pick one team to win but you can only pick them once throughout the course of the year. So, yes. Would it be easy for me to pick, let's say, and it's weird because you have, uh, a lot of these games aren't shoo-ins. But let's just say, okay, I'm going to throw out Kansas City. They're at home. It's against Cleveland. Tough opponent. We know about the playoff game last year. Came down to the wire. The big pass play. They had to end the game. Chad Henney, etc. But, Yes, I could pick Kansas City for the hell of it because they are expected to go far this season, maybe back to and win another Super Bowl. So let's just say, for instance, if I pick Kansas City and they win, obviously I survive. I go on to the next week, but I can't pick Kansas City for the rest of the year. So I want to try to pick a team like I did last year and I haven't been good in week ones. If I get past week one, who knows? Maybe I'll have some success. But considering that last year, I picked Indianapolis who played in Jacksonville. And the Colts were a team that made it to the postseason. But they lost that opening game. There's no spread. We're not going about point spreads. It's just a matter of who wins the game. I picked Indy to win because I figured that would be safe. I don't have to worry about picking Indy later on. I could save my Kansas Cities. I could save my Green Bays, my LA Rams, my Buffalo Bills. Those picks to later on in the year. And what happened? They lost. So... Here we go. Rolling the dice. I'm picking San Francisco. To me, it is a team that has a lot to prove. I understand last year, injury plague, no quarterback, Garoppolo, inept, whatever. But with everything that's happened and transpired this offseason, we have Trey Lance that is waiting in the wings. Garoppolo and company, you think they want to get off to a good start. I know Dan Campbell bringing his attitude, his mentality to that line team, which obviously has been irrelevant for forever, it seems. And even though the game's in Detroit and hope springs eternal when it's week one, etc. But I could see San Francisco, I'm not going to say they're going to blow out the Lions, but I think they will prevail and win week one. So, obviously, if San Francisco wins, I can't pick them throughout, which would be fine because then I could concentrate on the next team the next week. But let's get by week one because historically, I've been notorious. I picked the Saints two years in a row and they lost in week one last year, Indianapolis. So, we'll see what happens. So, that is my NFL. Let me see other news and notes. Yeah, you had a couple things go on. I know the Steelers traded for a cornerback, which their secondary's been. I don't know, what could you say, Joe Hayden? God bless him, but he's become a relic at this point. Although he still plays, he's still effective. I don't want to knock him like that, but Hayden's not going to be anywhere near the corner that he was five, six, seven years ago. But they traded for Akella Witherspoon, the former Niner who was on Seattle. And then Malcolm Butler is on the retired list. I know there's been a lot of reports about him being or going off into retirement for whatever the reason. So that was one thing that came a little bit as a surprise as we head into week one. But unfortunately, the NFL in another bad week lost a couple of former players, actually a few, starting off with Keith McCants, the former linebacker of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was a fourth overall pick in 1990. Never really panned out to be that all-pro, Pro Bowl type of player, but died of a suspected overdose in Tampa, 53 years old. I mean, geez, just very sad. I mean, all these stories are sad. Doesn't matter in which way, shape, or form you go. But between that and then David Patton, the Patriot wide receiver, most known for the Patriots, who's with the Giants. He's been on a bunch of other teams, but more known for his days with the Pats, had a touchdown in that first Super Bowl with Tom Brady against the Rams, back in Super Bowl 36, he died in an apparent motorcycle crash, I believe in Tennessee, 47 years of age, he was a God-fearing Christian, nothing but glowing things that were said throughout the course of the league, obviously the Patriots and what Bill Belichick and what he meant to their organization, and just nothing but great things to say about the man. Unfortunately, he passed away, and then another, which I'll get to later on, but man, uh, taking a lot of hits here in the sports world, like we did in 2020, with former players, icons, legends, whomever it may be passing well before their time, and those are two, which are third, I'll get to later on. Now, as far as the college football goes, very crazy weekend from a matchup standpoint. You had a lot of great opening week matchups, and that's what college football needs because as we all know, heading into the NFL season, it's going to be all about the the National Football League and college is going to take a back seat. And did they get themselves off to a good start this week, even with the matchups, Ohio State at Minnesota, Bama playing against Miami down in Atlanta. I think it was uh, some Chick-fil-A bowl or whatever it was. You had the Penn State and Wisconsin matching up for old time's sake, as they normally do there in the Big Ten. Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Florida State there last night. And yeah, you had some intrigue, but it was pretty much what you expected. I know the two surprises of the weekend were Florida State. They were down 38-20 and Notre Dame couldn't put the final nail in the coffin. They had The Seminoles come roaring back to tie the game and then to kick the field goal in overtime to win. Mind you, this was the first game since the death of legendary coach Bobby Bowden. You also had a sighting where Mackenzie Milton, the UCF transfer, who if you remember broke his leg in just gruesome fashion a few years ago when he was a member of Central Florida. Well, he actually made an appearance in this game, led to a touchdown drive, Uh, Because the starting quarterback did not play well in the game. And although his heroics weren't enough. But they did give Notre Dame a shot or a fight to the bitter end. But Notre Dame was ranked ninth in the country. They prevailed. And got out of Tallahassee with a victory. The Clemson and Georgia game showed how stout the Georgia defense is. But I need to see that against Alabama. And we know Georgia is always there at the end. And when we talked about this last week. If Clemson were to lose, because they play in such a soft conference, you would think that they should run the table here. Now, of course, no Trevor Lawrence, the sophomore quarterback, the Yugo who only threw 470-something yards in the game because of how great the defense was for Georgia. They had seven sacks in the game, pressured all day. had a pick six, which was the determining factor in a 10-3 low-scoring affair for the Bulldogs. But to me, it's twofold. A with Clemson, they could run the table, and even though with a loss to Georgia, could still find themselves in the college football playoff mix, because even with Georgia winning this game, and it's going to be leaps and bounds, but because of the conference that they play in, and they could lose to a Florida, they could lose to any one of those teams in their conference, and then let's just say for argument's sake, if they lose a game and then play in the SEC championship to Alabama, and lose that game. They'll have two losses on their docket to where Clemson will have one. Now, will that be enough? You would think it still may be enough because of that one loss being to Georgia, that Georgia will be in the mix for the top four for college football playoff, but stranger things have happened. That's something that we won't keep an eye on right away. But as we move on into this college football season, something to really pay attention to because that could be some controversy whether or not Clemson is the last team standing with one loss and then even though if Georgia suffers a loss before they play Alabama which we would think right now for a championship in the SEC them having those two losses will that be enough for them to get into the final four and big time apology on my part I know I mentioned the normal final four I didn't come out with a champion last week in my college football preview because to me, it was a foregone conclusion. Bama's going to win this thing. Listen, they could lose all these starters to the NFL. They could lose a ton of players. But they could plug me at quarterback and they'll end up winning a national title. As you saw there against Miami on Saturday, 27-0 lead out of the gate. They won 44-13. Bryce Young, four TDs in his debut. A Bama record. And if that's going to be any indication of what we're going to see from Bryce Young at quarterback, you might as well just pack your stuff and go home. Bama's going to win this thing with their eyes closed. And then you had Oklahoma, the number two ranked team in the country. They played Tulane. Now remember, Tulane, the Green Wave, they're obviously coming out of New Orleans or coming out of the Louisiana area, I should say. They had to move the game because of the Hurricane Ida to Norman, Oklahoma. So it was a home game technically for Tulane, but it was being played at Oklahoma. Well, Tulane gave them all they could and then some. To where Oklahoma held on to a 40-35 win. Now they were up 40-32, or excuse me, 40-22 in the fourth quarter. They did tack on 13 points, but it was still short and were not able to come out either ahead or make any headway to pull off an upset. So Oklahoma wins there. Ohio State beat Minnesota Day on Thursday night, which kicked off the college football season. I understand the week before you had Nebraska and Illinois. But Ohio State, who actually trailed in the third quarter, then prevailed there with just a burst late in the third and into the fourth quarter. In fact, Minnesota made it interesting as they cut it to three, but then they had a long pass play where Chris Olave had the touchdown to make it 45-31, excuse me, it was 38-31, not 38-35. But Ohio State was able to pull away late and secure their victory out in the Twin Cities against the Golden Gophers. And then, let's see, what else we have with college football? Other games of note over the weekend, I talked about Penn State beating Wisconsin, which eh, you want to say mild upset was on the road, but Penn State, we know they're a formidable team. Uh, And then UCLA, if you want to talk about Chip Kelly, getting the Bruins off to a good start over LSU, and that was Ed Orgeron who comes back to the area since his days at USC. And we all know that LSU, after winning a national title two years ago, they didn't fall on hard times they just fell flat on their face last year they were non-competitive a shell of their championship self and you wonder after this first game against UCLA although on the road pretty much did the same is it going to be a long year for the LSU Tigers remains to be seen but I think they're probably going to trend in that direction where Chip Kelly and company are trying to get themselves back on the beam obviously in the Pac-12 so we'll see how they play throughout the course of the year And those are pretty much your top games for week one. Week two, your slate is highlighted by Oregon at Ohio State. So, that should be a very interesting matchup where we all know about Oregon, high flying, and how they've been historically to go to Columbus, to go up against the Buckeyes. That is your early game. Your late game is Washington, who lost to Montana. That's right, Montana. Not a college football powerhouse in the least. To where they're going to travel to the Midwest to play at Michigan. And we talked about Michigan last week with Jim Harbaugh. So you wonder if there's going to be any after effects from Washington losing that game at home to Montana to now travel to the Midwest and play a Michigan team that you know they're going to be fired up and ready to go. And then you have Iowa and Iowa State, the in-state rivals. They're going to go at it. 18th ranked Buckeyes going up against Iowa State or Hawkeyes I said Buckeyes excuse me it's the Hawkeyes the Buckeyes we know are, are Ohio State so my apologies there and then uh, Iowa State we'll see what they could do against their in-state rivals that's pretty much you're going to be a schedule there for week two and obviously we'll keep monitoring that as we go along all right well let me turn my attention to a few other things before we say goodbye the NBA now you have to wonder here with this Laker team I've called them the Expendables last week. They're going to be the Los Angeles Expendables. I know it doesn't roll off the tongue smoothly, but they bring in another player, big man, former All-NBA first-team player, if you could imagine, look it up, because he was several years ago when he was with the Clippers. But after a trade by the Brooklyn Nets to the Detroit Pistons, and then a buyout by the Pistons, DeAndre Jordan is going to sign a deal probably one year I don't know what the terms will be not gonna be much with the Los Angeles Lakers so that also goes along with Carmelo Anthony Dwight Howard Kent Bazemore Malik Monk Rajon Rondo did I forget anybody else I'm sure I forgot somebody else in that mix so just add another layer to the expendables and if you listened to the podcast last week there I go again the Expendables being the old action movie from about a decade ago with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dolph Lundgren, Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, all of those 80s and 90s action movie heroes. This is the Lakers team right now. And I'm not trying to compare this squad or those players to those action, but you get what I'm going here. The Lakers are just bringing anybody and everybody as mercenaries. Just to win that title. Russell Westbrook is another one. How can I forget him? Throw him in the mix. So the Lakers are pulling out all the stops here. And you got to wonder if there's somebody that's going to be on the shelf that hasn't been signed, that can be signed. You know, they're going to go right to Rob Palenka and say, sign me. And I don't even know who's left as far as the scrap heap goes. But man, the Lakers are digging. And then the Brooklyn Nets are not too far behind because... What happened here over the last few days is that Paul Millsap, the former Hawk Utah Jazz, etc., Denver Nugget, he signed a deal with the Brooklyn Nets and then coming out of retirement because if you remember, LaMarcus Aldridge made his way to Brooklyn last year but then had to retire rather quickly because of a heartbeat that was irregular and the risk and the chance of him playing, they certainly didn't want to roll the dice, even if he were to play just a handful of minutes of games. So he figured, let me just go off into the sunset and retire after a long NBA career, mostly with the Portland Trail Blazers and San Antonio Spurs. But the doctors have cleared him now. I guess everything is copacetic. I'm sure there's going to be a minutes restriction on how long he's going to play here. All you hope for is that this doesn't resurface obviously during a game but even at any point while he's on the roster and playing in action throughout the course of the season and I get it these players they're like boxers look at Chris Bosch and what he had to go through in Miami until 100% that the doctors say no you cannot play that's it here I guess there's a new lease on life maybe they discovered something where yes it was a regular but it can be treated who knows but he's back in the fold and the Brooklyn Nets, I could say that they're the Expendables Part 2, but I mean, the Lakers have just hired everybody off the free agent scrap heap. I mean, that's just how it is. So I'll just call them the LA Expendables instead of the Los Angeles Expendables, but here they are, tagging on another layer to their already bolstered, if not aging squad, just to try to get that 18th World Championship in the franchise's history and another to add to the mantle for one LeBron James. And then lastly with the NBA, Ben Simmons last week, which didn't really get a lot of fanfare in the media, but he has requested his exit out of Philadelphia to the point where he won't even report to camp, doesn't want to remain a Sixer, doesn't worry, or doesn't want to worry about the fines. Now, training camp is probably going to start sometime at the end of the month, but he wants out, I don't know where that came from or what conversations behind the scenes had taken place. But if you're Daryl Morey, the GM of this team, I understand you're going to do your best to try to get as much back, but he cannot be on this team come to start a training camp. You got to do whatever it takes because once this gets into training camp and with him not being on the team, it's going to be a headache and a half. And we know the Northeast Corridor, the Philly fan, Obviously, the media, this is going to be a round-the-clock 24-hour story. We get that it's an Eagle Town, and who knows what the Phillies will be as far as baseball in the pennant race goes, but this is going to be all the talk in Philadelphia if he's not going to be jettisoned by late of this month, where if Simmons doesn't find a new home, who knows how this is all going to unravel in a city of brotherly love. Now, we know Portland's going to be one team that's going to be prominent here with Damian Lillard possibly coming back. You would also think that the Clippers, there's been reports about maybe them throwing their hat in the ring. What are they going to trade for them? I don't know. Because remember, they had that big trade for Paul George with Oklahoma City where they sent all those picks. Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and everything else. So they don't really have much to bear as far as draft picks go, or even an everyday player. You're not going to trade him Reggie Jackson, are you? I guess he would have to be thrown in that mix, but the Sixers aren't going to look for Reggie Jackson. That's not the guy they want. They want somebody who's going to be all-star caliber, ready to go. It's not going to be Paul George. Although the contracts would match up and that would fit, but do you think that the Clippers are going to be ready to part Paul George to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons? You know, come to think of it, that that I mean, that's a roll of the dice if you ask me. Because I can't trust Paul George in a big spot. Although he had been better this past postseason, And Ben Simmons, I can't trust at all. And Kawhi, we understand he can't be trusted because he's going to play 55, 60 games tops in postseason. And of course, with these recent injuries that he's had with the partial tear of his ACL, who knows? And you wonder if Mark Cuban is also going to say, hey, maybe we could pluck Ben Simmons. We'll send Chris Stapps for Zingis, which would be a disaster if you're the Sixers. So we'll keep an eye on this. Even Joel Embiid had to say that he loves playing with Ben Simmons and don't throw Embiid in the mix and I haven't been the biggest proponent or fan of Embiid in this process but no pun intended but to throw Embiid's name here and kind of intertwine him with Simmons to maybe fetch or even try to fish for a story of maybe some beef or just a disconnect between the two which has been part of the discussion in the past uh, it would be unfair to Embiid to do that so We'll see what happens here in the weeks to come. And I talked about that a couple weeks ago. And hey, what's happening with Simmons? Nobody's even talked about that. Well, now you figure it's going to be bubbling to the surface and a lot of percolating is going to be brewing out of Philadelphia as far as Simmons looking for his exit. And then NHL has been quiet. I know they had the new COVID protocols, which have been released 27-page report where unvaccinated players on the road, they can only stay in the team hotel and go to the arena to practice. They're going to have to have their own bubble. They can't even eat or drink on a plane. They can't go to a bar, restaurant, or club. So that's an obvious there. And although the NHL players will compete in Beijing for the Olympics, no surprise, big whoop. Uh, what am I to say about that? Nothing there, but training camp's in a couple of weeks. So we'll focus and turn our attention once that begins and the season about five weeks from now. And then to wrap up, I want to get to three quickies. Well, really two quickies and then a the big story here. But the tennis is going to be front and center because you talk about interesting developments that have happened throughout the last 48 to 72 hours. Now, I get it. For the four tennis fans that are listening and for God knows how many tennis fans out there that aren't really compelled or are compelled to watch, but for the casual fan that doesn't really care. But we do have to look at a few things that have taken place here and a lot of interesting ones. And there are five of them. And I'll go in order. Number one is the number three men's player in the world, Stefano Tsitsipas, who came into this tournament playing Andy Murray. Murray, we know, was a shade below the top three and Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, and Novak Djokovic. But he was pretty much tied in with those guys. Not as good as the three, but when we looked at this era of the late 20 aughts and into the 2010s and teens he was a guy that was obviously ranked in the top four to go along with the aforementioned three but in his opening match with Andy Murray Sitsipas has taken all these bathroom breaks to the ire of Murray to where he even shouted him out in the post game and then Sitsipas didn't make a big stink of it. hey had to use the bathroom you know why are people getting on my case and there's been a lot of negative energy in the Tsitsipas camp and towards Tsitsipas to where he had his comeuppance just the other night to where he lost to an 18 year old Spanish kid by the name of Carlos Alcaraz and when we look at karma as a whole you kind of wonder if he took this kid too lightly or with all the backlash in regards to these bathroom breaks where I believe in a five-step match you can only take two breaks and But with these breaks, he's taking like 10 minutes, he's taking longer than he should. You know, it's not as if he's running in there and coming right back out within a matter of whatever, 90 seconds, two minutes. So all this caught up to him to where he loses to this kid. And that's the second highlight here that I want to get to because with Tsitsipas losing and then not only that, but you lose a key component and a major player to try to upset the apple cart for the quest of Novak Djokovic calendar Grand Slam and not only that but what I haven't really mentioned here in the past couple of weeks to win his 21st Grand Slam men's major tournament which will be number one all time and will surpass both Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal who are both tied at 20 so losing Tsitsipas here is gigantic because although he wasn't on that side of the draw with Djokovic but you're not going to see him in a final now you may see the other big tennis player who's number two in the world and won Daniel Medvedev and he's still going on strong but you're not going to have that Tsitsipas Medvedev semifinal matchup that maybe a lot of people were anticipating and now with this kid to get to number two Carlos Alcaraz, an 18 year old who has now made it to the quarterfinals for the first time a player has as young as he has gone this long I know people are going to think of Michael Chang back in 1989, but you got to go back to 1963 to have a player that young make it to the second week of the U.S. Open. And when you look at how he had fared in this tournament, and we look at the match against Tsitsipas, he wins the first set 6-3, then loses 4-6, then 7-6, and then gets annihilated in the fourth set 6-love to where you think, all right, well, this is where Alcaraz is going to run out of gas and Tsitsipas going to take over no they make it to a tiebreaker at 7-6 and then Alcaraz prevails and upsets the number 3 men's play in the world so you got to wonder whether or not this kid's going to have enough juice enough energy you know he's riding on cloud 9 and then on top of that this is pretty much a sidebar I'm not going to put this as my number 3 but my number two. 2A, if you if you will, is this kid from the Netherlands? This Botik Van de Zanskulp. I know I'm butchering his name, but Botik is his first name, B-O-T-I-C. And his last name is Van de Zansculp. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Here's a kid that's come out of nowhere. He's not a kid, I believe he's 26, but he's stepping foot on U.S. soil for the very first time, and he's made it to a quarterfinal. And he's gonna go up against Daniel Medvedev, which you gotta wonder if this is going to be his execution. All you gotta do is give him the blindfold and a cigarette for this kid. But who would have thought that this unknown, on top of the Spanish kid in an Alcaraz, would have made it to the second week of the tournament, to where now they're gonna be front and center, and you wonder whether or not that the jitters. The nerves are going to be at an all-time high or are they going to be so young and so inexperienced and so carefree that they're going to play with house money and play reckless and play pretty much the standard to where it got to them to this point and try to push them to a semifinal or at least deep into this quarterfinal to the point where they don't get swept out of here in three sets. Fascinating stuff when you look at it from that regard. Now the third development is on the woman's side, to where we have another young upstart who, her birthday just passed, her 19th birthday on Saturday, this Layla Fernandez, who not only beat Naomi Osaka on Friday, but she also beat Angelique Kerber, who's ranked 16th in the world, and we all know Osaka's number three in the world, over the weekend to secure her spot into the quarterfinals, and this is after losing the first set to both Osaka and Kerber in her respective matches. And as we all know, the women's sets is best of three. So you lose the first set to both of those competitors. And then you come back in Aurora to win the last two. And here she is in a quarterfinal looking to get herself deep into the U.S. Open tournament and maybe even get to a semifinal and maybe even an U.S. Open championship final to where the number one player in the world, and she's number four. As far as storylines go. And a one Ash Barty. She just came off as we all know winning Wimbledon. And for Barty to lose to a I believe 43rd ranked woman in the world Shelby Rogers. And she's from the US. But the thing is is how she lost this match is one that makes you scratch your head. And Ash Barty has these type of moments where I don't know if it's a lack of concentration. I don't know what it is. But Barty she'll lose in a first round in a major or she'll lose in the second round she won't even make it anywhere near to the second week and here she was going up against Rodgers after losing the first set 6-2 she then won the second set 6-2 so you figure all right this is where she's going to cruise along and maybe win so now she gets to the third set Barty's up 5-2 so she's one game away from putting her away and moving on and then what happens she failed to do so did she let up thinking that the match was in the bag? Did she feel like she could just coast or she could take a couple of games off? Typical Barty fashion for a number one. And it could happen to anybody, I understand. But very shocking to see that development happen to where she had a commanding lead in the third set and was unable to shut the door on Shelby Rogers. She ends up losing 7-6 on the tiebreaker. Sinar for Barty. So now you have the women's side of the draw to where you have the young Fernandez. You also have Barbara Krejcikova who defeated Garbine Muguruza to advance. I know a lot of people are going to say, of reals. Who are these people? Why should they be even mentioned here on this podcast? Well, the only reason why I mention that is because you may have a budding feud between Krejcikova and Muguruza only because of the medical timeouts. It's kind of like the Sitsipas thing but without the bathroom breaks. She took a couple of medical timeouts, she took her time in winning these games and obviously concluding her winning set against Muguruza to where Muguruza said it was unprofessional of her to do that and taking her time and maybe it was a bit of gamesmanship, whatever it was, but with Craig Jacobo, who has obviously played very well in this tournament and also throughout the course of the year, can Fernandez be that one shining star just like with on the men's side if Carlo Alcaraz, although the competition is a lot stiffer on the men's side than the women's side, because remember, no Barty, no Osaka, obviously no Serena, and I understand there's a couple of other players that are there, number five seed Alina Zvidalina, who will now, Fernandez will face up here in the quarterfinal, so that will be her next matchup. But a lot of intrigue here from players that we didn't expect, young players that have teenagers that have just come out of nowhere to play phenomenally well and beat heavyweights in the sport I get to the casual fan they're not going to care they just want to see who if Jovac is going to complete this calendar grand slam and get that 21st title or on the women's side maybe there'll be a groundswell for Fernandez because of how young she is and the aforementioned giants of the women's side aren't there remains to be seen and I hope Fernandez goes far just like I hope the young kid Alcaraz goes far and then the last thing I want to talk about is the comments in the post-match not only by Naomi Osaka but also Sloane Stevens and I'll start with Osaka at first very emotional after she lost to Fernandez saw her there on the dais trying to figure out what she wants to do doesn't know when she's going to play her next tennis match even said that she is probably going to take a break from playing we know about all the issues dating back to the French as far as the mental health that she's been enduring and having to go through and who knows we understand she's young and she still has her whole life ahead of her but if tennis isn't going to be it then so be it I don't want to hear any tennis fan or anybody any pundit say oh suck it up or yeah take your break but you better come back nonsense She's been dealing with this throughout the course of the whole year. Remember, she won the French Open last year. She did perform in the Olympics. She probably felt, all right, let me give it a go. Let me see if I can defend my title, et cetera, et cetera. And then obviously she didn't do so in losing to Fernandez and had a very tearful exit out of the US Open to say, I don't know when I'm going to come back, guys. I'm just going to take a break. And you know what? Take as long as you want. Because nobody in any way shape or form has not walked in her shoes and granted we may have seen a lot of the tennis players well before her that had played at the tender age of 14 15 the Tracy Austins the Jennifer Capriotis of the world and Capriotti had her own demons as we saw later on and I'm sure a lot of that had to do with the success and the attention that you get early on some can handle it some can't and right now it looks like Osaka is having a struggle Just trying to find her way in life and maybe make her own path to forget about being successful. We already know she is, but just being happy, healthy, and fulfilled, which is more important. And then Sloane Stevens had made some comments just addressing the social media hate that she gets, the harassing messages, that it's become exhausting, never-ending. She shared some of those messages after she lost to Angelique Kerber the other day. And we know a lot of them are trolls You could say Ah don't worry about them Don't read them Deflect them whatever But Come on They're going to take a toll Now listen I am nowhere near The ilk Or The Notoriety Or fanfare Whatever you want to call it Of a one Sloan Stevens But Not to make it about me All you got to do Is just go to the Apple Podcast And if you look at the Few reviews that are put on there And there's one negative review From somebody who posted last October, I actually got into a little Twitter feud with a Dodger fan who loved Max Muncy, and I came out and said, if you remember, I believe it was game six of that World Series where Max Muncy hit a home run and he stood at home plate and he pimped it, and he's had a reputation for doing so. I said, who is Max Muncy to do that? This guy's not Albert Pujols, he's not a future Hall of Famer. I mean, he's a good player, but come on. And then that person came out at me and started talking about war and talking about sabermetrics and oh, I don't know anything about baseball and so on and so forth. And then I guess he caught wind that I got a podcast and then he destroyed me and destroyed the podcast, which that's what he wants to do. That's fine. I looked at that. I was mad, but I knew where it was coming from. I'm sure he won under another name, but the bottom line is that there are going to be trolls out there no matter what, no matter how good you do, no matter how great of a person you are, no matter how charitable, et cetera doesn't matter. There's always going to be those thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people that are going to say bad things about you and it's just sad. It's just a sad world we live in. These keyboard warriors just feel like they have a right to say whatever but obviously they need to take a mirror and look at their own lives as to why they're just on there spewing this hate vitriol against athletes other people whatever. It's like come on people get a life. But that's neither here nor there. I just wanted to bring that up just to not only more so for Sloane Stevens' point of view and how she has to endure this abuse. And I understand, she could just shut it off and move on and not have to worry with social media, but come on, she's a 23-year-old kid. She's been around the sport for a while. And I'm sure for all the we love yous and thank yous and whatever, the hate stuff is going to stick out more. And I'm sure it's probably a lot more than just A few four-letter words. And obviously, when you look at Sloane Stephens being a woman of color, I'm sure there's a lot more that goes on with added layers. So, it's just despicable. the, The world we live in and obviously, the people got nothing else better to do than to rag on or to criticize or just to spew hate. But I just had to mention that to go in conjunction with Naomi Osaka. So, we'll see what happens there with the US Open as it's certainly getting very interesting here as we get to the second week and let me wrap up here with a couple of quickies first off Patrick Cantlay is a guy that has been on a lot of people's radar with golf and we know he's a good golfer and what he's done here in the last two weeks you would only wish that this was three to four months prior because in these tournaments they get lost in the shuffle or easily forgotten if you're not a golf fan now of course I didn't watch every round of this match or Focused in on oh let me see what's happening in the FedEx Cup. Now I didn't know it was on Friday that he was on the top of the leaderboard, and I said to myself, "Oh, geez, on top of the leaderboard again. He's going to win back to back, or potential back to back tournaments here, where he had that classic six-hole playoff against Bryson DeChambeau the week before, and then here completes another victory, one stroke ahead of John Rahm yesterday." I don't know if it went down to the wire. I don't know if he had a comfortable lead. I didn't watch as far as that. But Cantlay is now, is this a guy that we're going to have to really focus in on as far as being a top flight player? Now, we got to see this on a bigger stage. And I'm not talking about the Ryder Cup. I'm not talking about any of these other small tournaments. I'm talking about when it really matters. The Masters, the PGA, the British Open and the US Open. That's where we have to see it. Now, Cantlay, we know as we've seen here He's a player that we're going to have to watch He's a player that's gotten A very good reputation And has won tournaments in the past And obviously he's won back-to-back here Which Boosts his Approval rating Amongst his brethren And amongst the Golf viewer Or the casual Golf fan like myself To take notice But again We're not going to get too serious about this guy Until we see this On a major course So Cantley props kudos no doubt and I'm not going to diminish anything what you've done in the last two weeks but you're going to be measured by majors and that's all that anybody is going to want to pay attention to at least for me because you could win 15 tournaments throughout the year and may even be golf of the year and I'm not saying that he's going to be golf of the year I'm just put throwing that out as an example but let's just say if he ended up winning seven or eight golf tournaments And is ranked X amount in the world. But then when you look at. Oh how many majors he's won. you're like oh he hasn't won a major yet. And I don't even think. I have to go back and look. But off the top of my head. I don't think he has won a major as of yet. But we all know. That's the barometer. When it comes to success. When you're playing golf. Is to go ahead. And see what you've done. In those big tournaments. And how you've performed. In those four majors that I mentioned. And as of right now. The highest that he's finished in any of the major tournaments was two years ago at the PGA where he was tied for third. So again, I'm not trying to throw cold water on what he's done. You got to give him props. But at the same time, again, we got to see this when it really, really matters. And then finally, word came down, if you looked at the social media profile of a one Oscar De La Hoya, How he had come down with COVID and was fully vaccinated and you see him laying on the hospital bed and he had a few words to say that, oh, I couldn't believe I got COVID, I've done anything and everything it took to not get it, etc, blah, blah, blah. Didn't look like he was in good shape. Said he's going to bounce back, etc. And mind you, I didn't realize that he had a fight this coming Saturday against a guy who I believe was a former UFC fighter and a one Vitor Belfort. But now, talk about going from bizarre to bizarro, not knowing that De La Hoya had a fight this coming week. But now the person who's going to be in place of De La Hoya is going to be Evander Holyfield. As if Evander Holyfield's been on anybody's radar when it comes to boxing in the last 15 years. And I don't even know, what is Holyfield? 57? I, I did not even know how old he is. But he's going to fight Vitor Belfort who I wouldn't even been able to pick out of a lineup. And are people really going to watch this? Or follow it? I currently have my hands up in the air because I'm exasperated. Uh, Maybe exasperated is too strong. But I'm just baffled that nobody else would take the place or nobody else would be the fill-in for Delahoyer. But they're going to bring in Evander Holyfield. I don't know Uh, am I missing something here Uh, am I off should I not be thinking that I mean geez I hate to kind of end out the sports on that note but I'll transition to my hero and zero of the week so here we go people to wrap up my hero of the week goes to former Steelers offensive tackle Tunch Ilkin, who died from ALS and pneumonia on Saturday after a battle with both now, he was the Steeler radio color commentator for many years. He had to step down in June because of the prognosis and obviously trying to battle ALS, but then the pneumonia came about and unfortunately he succumbed to it. Sad state, sad story, no other way to cut it as he was unable to make it to week one of the NFL season. Not that he would have been behind the mic, but it would have been nice to at least have Tunsch be able to make it to the start of this upcoming season but unable to do so I tell you a tough week for the NFL with all these losses so thoughts prayers not only go out to my hero of the week and one touch Ilkin who was 63 years old but of course to Keith McCants David Patton as well so Tunch you're my hero of the week and my zero of the week do I even need to go there with this one people Mets GM Zach Scott who last week I said we hardly knew ye out the door etc well look at that currently on administrative leave after a DWI late Tuesday morning leaving a party that was hosted by Steve Cohen in the White Plains area where not only was he allegedly asleep at the wheel at a traffic light at 4.15 in the morning I might add where based on the reports this party ended somewhere in the vicinity of 10 11 a 11 p.m. So what he was doing from 11 or from around 10 a.m. till let's say 3 in the morning before he got in the car or maybe 4 in the morning, however long it was, and then to get pulled over and also in the process refused a breathalyzer test. Sandy Alderson is now assuming the GM duties, which I don't think he's going to be long for that either based on what I stated last week. But Zach Scott, just like Jared Porter before him with his sexual allegations now we have this to deal with typical New York Met fashion again Mr. Scott we hardly knew ye you are my zero of the week that'll do it episode 212 that was a lot to squeeze in people I'm glad you stuck with it as always without you guys there'll still be a podcast but I do it for you I thank you I do not take your participation in downloading streaming following this podcast for granted I appreciate each and every one of you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports and if you haven't done so one more time real brief please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts throw me a few stars throw me a nice review again I want to keep pushing help the expansion and the growth of this podcast by doing that that's going to help leaps and bounds to get the word out also share it on social media, screenshot it with me, I'll pass it along, etc. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism or praise, you can hit me up on any of my social media accounts, Jreels or the Jreels podcast on Instagram, Jreels1 just the number on Twitter, the Jreels podcast on Facebook, and by email the at gmail.com. Hit me up, I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And then lastly, to contribute to this endeavor, Please go to www.patreon.com/ the J Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy, slash the J Reels podcast. What that'll do, whatever you want to put forth, will continue to upkeep of the website, everything that goes into this production, the equipment, you name it. Because whether you do or do not know, and before I even get to that, whatever you want to contribute, I would sincerely. And gratefully appreciate it because, as I said a second ago, and I'll say right now, whether you do or do not know, this is in my DNA, people. I've been talking sports, it seems like since birth, and I love to get into every little nook and cranny, analysis, opinions, thoughts, hot takes on everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon ringside you name it from my lips to your ears from my heart to your soul from where to wherever you are the J Reels Podcast always comes correct direct and in full effect and don't forget Thursday NFL preview I'd say around noon to get you ready for the NFL season opening night Dallas and Tampa week one again as we talked about before but the whole season predictions surprise disappointments Super Bowl playoff you name it I'll have it all over-unders I got you covered the South Bronx, the South East, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.